Hey everyone and welcome to the start of a brand new series called Glad You Asked where for the last few weeks we have invited you to send us your complex and your difficult and your obscure questions. Now this is so much more than satisfying our curiosity. These questions, if left undealt with, have the power to cause doubt and anxiety in our lives. And therefore, if we're able to speak into these questions with biblical thoughtfulness, then we're able to speak into those places of anxiety and doubt and hopefully help many of you find new strength in your faith. So here's how we're going to do this. We received so many questions that there's no way that we're going to be able to preach through all of them. So we've chosen the top seven questions that are perhaps a bit more weighty, that require a bit more space and biblical bandwidth to speak into. And then the rest of the questions we're going to get through on a weekly basis with a weekly YouTube Glad You Asked midweek video where we try and cover two, three or four questions. And the last thing to say here is that you are not the only one asking these questions. These are not the kinds of questions that we get round to speaking about regularly. So please use this opportunity, whether it's the Sunday questions or whether it's the midweek questions, to share these far and wide because you have no idea what a good biblical well-timed answer can do in your life or the lives of those around you. So what is question one going to be? Question one is this. What happens when I die? What happens when I die? A number of questions came in that were connected to this question. More particularly, what happens to me today when I die? Where do I go? And as a result, where will I one day end up? Now, if you're a Christian, you've been taught the answer. It's all about the good place and the bad place, heaven and hell, right? Well, if I had to ask you, what is the point of Christianity? You would have to not only sit there and think about it, but think about how you've spoken about Christianity to your peers, to your family. Maybe you're even not a Christian and you probably have some sense of what you think Christianity is all about. For many people, the point of Christianity is try and live a good life, believe the right things, and based on that, we get to go to heaven or hell, the good or the bad place. That is the sum total of Christianity for many, many people. And you can hear by the tone of my voice that I think if that is our sum total of what Christianity is about, we have a problem. So why do we have a problem? Well, I think the problem lies in the difference between something being simple and something being simplistic. Now, I'm not talking about simple in the sense that some things are just simple. But when we try and give simple answers, good, simple answers, a great, simple answer is going to have incredible power to distill and to explain far more complex issues well. Good teachers and good lecturers and good authors are masters of simplicity. Albert Einstein, he said everything should be as simple as possible, but not simpler. 
which leads me to what is simplistic. When something is simplistic, it is oversimplified. We have, in the name of trying to be simple, we have robbed some of the bigger picture. We are starting to skew and distort some of what the bigger picture is. And so I would argue that this idea of the point of Christianity being live a good life, believe the right things so that you can go to heaven or hell is a simplistic answer to what Christianity is all about. While many of those points are true in their individual sense, in trying to summarize what Christianity is, it has missed out on so much more. Some of the bigger, more important parts of what Christianity is. And so if that's the simplistic answer, what's the simple answer? Well, I can say it in three words. It's the kingdom of God or the gospel of the kingdom of God. Well, Stephen, what is the kingdom of God? Well, I'm going to try to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to try teach about this in a few minutes. We actually taught about the kingdom of God a number of years ago. It took us a few weeks and even then it felt like we were just kind of skimming the surface of what the kingdom of God is. But I want to try and give you a compelling picture of what the big picture is, what the kingdom of God is. And then only once we've started to not focus on the simplistic idea of what being a Christian is about, but the bigger picture of what being a Christian is about, only then do I feel we can actually answer the question, where do I go when I die? And in order to do that, we have to go to page one of the Bible, the easiest page to find. All right. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make is by starting on page three of the Bible. Now, I know maybe you start reading at page one, but in our thinking, in our imagination, in our speaking about what the gospel is, we tend to start on page three. You see, page one gives us God's creation account. Now, that is not only for us to debate with regards to evolution or the age of the earth. For many people, that's kind of for those people to debate. But what we see in page one and two in scripture is God's creative intent. This is why he created. This is what he is hoping to accomplish. And what I've come to see over the past few years is that there is more on page one and page two of scripture than you have ever believed, especially when it comes to God's intent, when it comes to our creation. Page three is where sin enters the picture. And so for many of us, our story of salvation starts on page three. There is sin, there is redemption, and then there's heaven. Sin, redemption, heaven. That's the whole picture. And what we need to do is go back to page one and all the way to the final page of scripture. See how God builds this ark from page one all the way to the final page of scripture. And then within that story, we can locate sin. Within that story, we can locate redemption and then also our eternal destiny. So Genesis one verses one says this in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So according to this verse, what did God create in the beginning? The heavens and the earth. Why am I pointing this out? Because again, when it comes to our simplistic understanding of Christianity, the dualism we will often point to is heaven and hell, heaven and hell. The point is heaven and hell. God's creative intent on page one is the heavens and the earth. 
This is not talking about the place you go when you die and then earth. The phrase in Hebrew, the heavens and the earth, refers to the cosmos, God's created cosmos. But what we see emerging in chapter 1, and even more so in chapter 2, is that in the space that God created is an overlapping of God's spiritual manifest reality, which I'm going to call God's space or heaven. And that is overlapping with our physical world. So God is not out there. God is among us. God is walking with us. God is reigning and ruling, but he has invited us to reign and rule with him. We are worshiping him. We are submitting to him and we are partnering with him. There is peace and there is flourishing. There's overlapping of God's space and our space. And then only do we get to chapter three. So if we see chapter one and two as God's creative intent, Chapter 3 shows us where that all started to come apart. This is where sin entered the picture. This is where man was deceived. This is where we started to define good and evil according to our own understanding. This is when we decided to do things our way. And because evil entered this space, the space where God's space and our space was overlapping, God had to move us out of this space into this world. So if Eden was characterized by life and worship and love and good work and beauty and power and flourishing, the new space that we were placed into is a place that is characterized by pain and toil and death and suffering. And quite literally, the entire story of scripture is about God reuniting this space with this space according to his creative intent in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Now the next place in scripture that we see these two spaces overlapping, heaven and earth, God's space and our space, is in the tabernacle, which was the temporary version of the temple, and then later on the temple. Now here's something that we don't often hear about, but it is there in the scriptures concerning the tabernacle and the temple. Do you know? that one of the things the tabernacle and the temple were to be was not simply a place of worship. It was meant to be a new Eden, a new Eden where God's space could be entered into in our space. Well, one of the hints for this is to be found in some of the art and decorations of the tabernacle and the temple. They were to be decorated with trees and with flowers and with cherubim. Now, this is the Middle East. So when was the last space in the Bible that we saw trees and flowers and plants and flourishing and cherubim all together? It was Eden. Not only that, when you get to the most holy place, the place where God's presence was most manifest here on earth, what do you find? You find the ark. And what is on top of the ark? you find two cherubim, two angels with their wings covering the mercy seat. When was the last time we saw two cherubim? I haven't mentioned it yet, but when Adam and Eve were taken out of this place where heaven and earth was overlapping, what did God do? He set up a God, a pair of cherubim who were protecting the God space. And so here in the temple, 
there was an opportunity for humanity to once again re-enter and re-celebrate some of God's creation intent. A place on earth where man could meet with God here on earth. And this is why the temple and the tabernacle was at the center of the life of Israel. Then let's go forward to Jesus of Nazareth. In the book of John, this is what John has to say about Jesus. He says in John chapter 1 verses 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Now that word dwelling is the Greek word for the tabernacle. Jesus is once again the tabernacle of God among us. This is very intentional that Jesus is now the place on earth where God's space and our space overlaps, where heaven is on earth. Jesus in John chapter 2 also refers to himself as the temple. And so this Eden space or this place of heaven and earth overlapping is no longer in a physical building, but it is in the person of Jesus. And he's not limited to the physical building. He is out there in the dark and broken world, bringing Eden to these places, bringing healing, bringing peace, Bringing the kingdom of God is how Jesus describes his mission on earth. Bringing it back to planet earth and displaying the Godship of Jesus by confronting evil and bringing the peace of God as he goes. Now, going back to the temple, remember in the garden, because sin entered the picture, man had to be removed from the God space. So in order for man to re-enter the God space, sin would have to be dealt with. So for the priest who was going to go into the Holy of Holies, the way his sin was covered or atoned for, it was through the sacrifice of an animal. And so there was a temporary way in which his sins were covered and atoned for so that he could enter that space. Now, Jesus is claiming to be the temple, the space that we can enter so that we can experience heaven on earth in him. But now, not only is Jesus God, not only is Jesus king, not only is Jesus the kingdom, not only is Jesus bringing the blessings of Eden and heaven to this earth, not only is Jesus the temple, but he is also the sacrifice. So when Jesus died on a cross, this meant that once and for all, our sins have been covered and atoned for so that you and I can once again enter the space where God's space and our space overlaps, where heaven touches earth. And Jesus says that is in him and in him alone. Now, let's fast forward to the last page of scripture. And this is what we read in Revelation 21 verses 2 to 3. John says, I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Heaven comes from God. Prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
Here we're seeing the restoration of Eden. We see the God space coming permanently back to earth, no longer limited to a garden or a temple or even a person. But this new reality defines the entire new cosmos. Sin is done for. Sin is gone. The entire cosmos is renewed according to God's intent that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. But what was there in part is now in full. This coexistence of heaven on earth. God's will, God's power, God's peace, God's beauty, fully saturating all of creation. So what does this have to do with when I die? Well, What the scriptures teach is that I get to enter the kingdom of God. But not only at some future time, according to Revelation 21, but I get to enter the kingdom of God now. Why? Because the king is here in Jesus. He is the one bringing the presence of God to earth. And I get to enter that kingdom now i get to experience eternal life not only then now that's what john 17 is all about i am born again into a new kingdom i am entering the new kingdom that is now here on earth and will be eventually the eternal kingdom that outlasts all other kingdoms and so the point is Not to pray this magic prayer so that one day I get to go to heaven. The point is, now you are born into the kingdom. God's activity is here now on earth. God has brought the kingdom here. Jesus says, the kingdom is in you. The kingdom is among you. We get to experience that now. Not so that I go to heaven. But in fact, here's the language of the Bible. Because I become one with the temple, because I am in Christ who is the temple, I become a temple. Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians calls us and calls God's people his temple. The book of 1 Peter calls us his temple. And so now I become a place where God's presence is here on earth. I become a focus point of God's kingdom. I become a place of God's peace, of God's reign, and of God's rule. And just like Jesus went out into this dark world, confronting evil and bringing God's peace, love, and truth, so we get to do the same thing as we are citizens of the kingdom while we're still citizens of earth. We are taught to pray this, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in 2,000 years' time. No, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in God's space. Bring it here on earth. Let us see your kingdom now here on earth. So here's a question. Are we in Revelation 21? In other words, has God's kingdom fully come? Is the entire cosmos completely saturated with God's love, God's spirit and God's power, God's will and God's ways? No. We are still living in a sinful, broken world. I still have my sinful, broken nature. I am born again. I have received a new nature. I still have my old sinful nature. And so somehow by praying about God's kingdom coming and by leaning into God's kingdom, I start seeing 
and praying for more of God's activity in my life and through my life. But we kind of experience it in part. The kingdom is here now, but also not quite yet in full. But because I am in the kingdom now, and because the nature of God's kingdom is that it is an eternal kingdom, I experience the benefits of not only being in the kingdom now, but being in the kingdom for all of eternity. And so can you see that the point of Christianity is the bigger picture of God's kingdom? It's never been about how to avoid the bad place and go to heaven. And so now finally can we get to answering the question. So now where do we go when we die? Let's look at a number of verses that do address this, make a few comments, and uh, hopefully this is helpful to you. So um, some of you will know that when Jesus was being crucified, one of the thieves turned to him and said this, Jesus, remember me when you go to heaven. No, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. So people have tried to work out, well, how does that work? We're not at Revelation 21 yet. So how do we enter paradise today? So some have thought, well, maybe because when we're alive, we're constrained by time and space. But when I die, somehow I get to move out of time and space. So it's almost like I get to skip the next however many years until Christ's return. And I get to somehow bypass that and go straight to there. And while I understand the logic behind that, there's actually no biblical evidence for that. Others have said, well, maybe it's like when I go to sleep. You might have to use your imagination for that, but imagine what it's like to have a great night's sleep. You put your head down and it feels like no time has passed when you wake up, but you feel refreshed and renewed. So maybe that's what it's like when we die. After all, the Apostle Paul often talks about the dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep in Christ. And so maybe the soul sleep is what happens to us after we die. But I'll tell you why I don't think that that is how this works. Paul says in Philippians 1.23, he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Now, in order for that sentence to be true, I don't think going and having a 3,000 year nap is the better by far with Christ that Paul has in mind. I think he is describing a reality whereby he is renewed relationally with Christ and he gets to enjoy that. All right, you've got to be conscious for that. In addition, we actually get to meet some people in the Bible who come from this space. Right, for example, did you know, this is strange, but did you know that there was a successful seance in the Old Testament? King Saul goes to a person called the Witch of Endor. This sounds like Lord of the Rings. And she calls up the spirits of Samuel. Now, I don't know if he kind of looked like he got woken up from a nap, but somehow he appeared from somewhere and went back there. How does that work? Then we see on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah. Again, they were awake and they were alert and there was a conversation going on. What's going on there? 
in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about Lazarus and a rich man. Where the rich man goes to Hades, Lazarus goes to heaven or Abraham's bosom or paradise. These are kind of synonymous terms. This is definitely pre-judgment because they're aware of some of the things that are going on on planet Earth. They're alert, they're conscious, they're aware, they're speaking. And so I don't think that we somehow exit time and go straight to the judgment. I don't think that we experience soul sleep. Somehow, when we die, we go to heaven. And what we mean by that is we go to wherever Christ is fully manifest in his God space. Now, Stephen, what does that mean? I don't fully know. Stephen, are we, do we have full on bodies there? Kind of like you know, Moses and Elijah in the Mount of Transfiguration. I, I, I don't know, Stephen, what are we doing while we're up there? Does time operate at a different speed while we're up there? I don't really know. And fortunately, the Bible doesn't say much more about this temporary time, which theologians call the intermediate state. But here's what we can say for certain. This is a temporary space. The Bible has a lot more to say about God's creative intent from page one to the final page. God's got a lot more to say about what is our true and our certain future hope. We get so preoccupied with this temporary space and that's why there are so many questions about this. But here's what we can say for certain. That is not our final destination. Imagine you were able to retire and you had invested well and so you're, you've got a huge nest egg and you're able to buy the home of your dreams on the ocean with the beautiful garden and so you pack up your life here and you start heading there. But on the way you go via Bloemfontein for example. Why? Because you've got some family in Bloemfontein and because you're retired and you've got some extra bucks lying around you spend a few weeks there, you spend a few months there but if anyone had to ask you where are you going the answer is not Bloemfontein the answer is your final destination. Now something else the scriptures are very clear on is that at Christ's second return we are also just like we were given bodies in this earth, we are given new bodies for the new heavens and the new earth. And while people kind of debate exactly how and exactly when all of this is going to happen, here's what is clear about these new bodies. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. Think about the weakness of a body that dies. But it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. Just by the way, what does Paul mean by a spiritual body? Does that mean we're like ghosts now? That is not what Paul means by that. What he means by that is that our new physical bodies, instead of being ruled by sin, that is all completely removed. All destruction, all death, all disease is removed and we are now fully saturated and fully animated by God's Spirit and God's power. So here is the metaphor that Paul is using. He's saying the body that is sown is like a seed. If we look at the earlier verses, but it is raised like the product of the seed. So if we think about planting a sunflower seed and the plant that comes out of it, 
we see two things. On one hand, we see continuity. There is a connection between this seed and that plant. But there's also discontinuity. This seed looks nothing like that plant. That plant is far more glorious and far more powerful than the seed. And in the same way, we are like, our new bodies are like the new plant. There's a continuity between this body that is sown and the new bodies that are given. But there's also discontinuity in the sense that Paul doesn't even have the language to describe what these new bodies are like. And in the same way, if we read those earlier verses, Paul says the same is true of the cosmos, of the heavenly bodies. They too have bodies and they too are like seeds that are going to grow into something new. There is going to be a death of death, a death of sin. There is going to be a purging. There is going to be a fire. There is going to be a sense of destruction. Not so God can take this creation, throw it all up and throw it all away. But somehow this, this, this creation is going to be in continuation with the new creation, but it is going to be far more glorious and far more eternal and far more powerful. And this is a story from page one of scripture. And once again, God's space will permanently overlap the entire creation. Now, here's why this matters. If all we understand about this is the simplistic version of Christianity, live the good life, believe the right things, and you either go to the good place or the bad place. This does a number of things. Firstly, this leads to escapist thinking. I want to leave this place and get out of here to go somewhere else, aka heaven. Secondly, it leads to passive living. Why? Well, I've prayed the right prayer. I've got my heavenly insurance and therefore, I don't need to do much more about it because I've already got my tickets to heaven. And then thirdly, this leads to dangerous decisions. If I believe that the point of Christianity is to go to heaven and that all I need to do is make sure that I've got my tickets and that I have the bare minimum requirements to go to heaven, I may think... I've done that without ever having entered the kingdom of God. Which is why Jesus the King says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. The goal of Christianity was never meant to be heaven, at least the way we understand it. The goal of Christianity was God becoming king god among us god manifestly animating us and loving us and empowering us that we are living in this physical beautiful creation experiencing flourishing and peace and all the joy and goodness that comes out of that place this is what the kingdom of god is God becoming king and I get to start enjoying that today. And because I enter the kingdom of God today, I get to enjoy the eternal benefits of the kingdom of God. Now, if you're a Christian, your role is not to hang on until heaven. Your role is to be one that is praying and living your kingdom come. Because by definition, 
I have stepped back into Eden. I have stepped back into the God space. I am in Christ. And because I am in the temple, I am now a temple. I get to be a place where the God space is in operation. I get to be a citizen of heaven while still being a citizen of earth. I get to be a place that spreads the love, joy, and peace of God's kingdom now. All of our Christian practices. It's not about a religion. All of our prayer, all of our community, all of our reading the scriptures and knowing the voice of God, all of our abiding, all of our morality are not about doing the right things and living the right life. It's about being in the kingdom expressing and experiencing the kingdom here on earth. But if you're not a Christian and you're somehow still with this message, Christianity, despite what you've heard, is not exclusively about a get out of jail free card. Because you've looked at this version of Christianity and you found it wanting and you've rejected it. Rather, Christianity is about God who is recognizing the sin and the brokenness in this world and hates it as much as you do. And he is doing something about it. He is righting wrongs. He is confronting evil. He is bringing his kingdom and he is active right now. And you are invited to lay down your kingdom and step into his kingdom. That is what repentance is about. You get to have your sins washed away so that you can enter his space. And then you get to enjoy the fullness as we enter the fullness of history. But this also happens in prayer. And so let's do that, Father. You have shown us what you want for us. I pray that as we've covered so much ground today, that you are bringing clarity where there has sometimes been an oversimplification or even a false understanding of the point of all of this. Father, I pray that we experience the challenge of the kingdom of God and the invitation of the kingdom of God, whether it's an, the invitation to Christians or those who up to this point in time haven't called themselves Christians. I pray also that you've upped the importance and the urgency of the kingdom of God in our hearts, of what it truly means to be a Christian. I also pray, God, that you can give us a sense of security about your kingdom, about where we are going and where we are heading, and also what will happen to me if today I die. Father, may this come across as the most beautiful picture we could ever have imagined coming out of this sinful, broken world. A picture we want to be a part of. Joining you where you're at work. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.